0: All right, so we're recording. Um, so what we'll talk about is um, basically um, feeling unworthy and undeserving. Last week, we started talking about shame. And again, a uh, quick review, just make this fast. Um, you know, there's I always stress the difference between shame and guilt because a lot of people get that confused. You know, shame is about feeling bad about you as a person yourself. Guilt is about feeling bad about what you did. Now what begins to happen uh, is a lot of us had mixed messages. So even if you if you did something, let's say you didn't even know it was bad, especially as a kid or some new situation, um, People made it about you or, or, and then you internalized it. You know? So you don't just feel guilty about maybe doing something you didn't, you didn't know was bad at the time. It went right to, I'm a bad person because I did this, even though I didn't know it was bad, right? And, that, and then it gets internalized and it goes. We have to remember, even going back to shame, it's a defense mechanism. You know, it's a way we learn to keep ourselves safe from some kind of harm in in the past. You know, it could have kept us safe. It had an important purpose. Um, But now it causes problems in relationships or our physical lives or whatever it is. Uh, And again, shame can be the way we blame ourselves for something that happened to us that wasn't our fault. You were in a wreck. Um, would be one example, car wreck. Okay, car. They happen. Well, if I hadn't been going down that street at that time, because I'm a stupid person, I should have known better. Why? I mean, it's it's craziness. But we do that, right? Victims of um, you know ab- abuse will go through this, right? Uh, they'll make it. It was it was something I did, not the fact that there was a perpetrator that did something bad. It was the fact. Mm-hmm. I brought it on myself. Um, And when we feel ashamed, we may feel we can control our safety by controlling our actions and beliefs. And also, shame is about disappearing. Right? Um, And usually what happens with, if you feel guilty, it's you made a mistake. And then if you add the negative self-talk, I'm stupid, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not, I shouldn't have been in that situation, I made the person do that. Uh, then it goes nuts. Right. And again, Hello. So when you begin to experience shame is um, you need some self, you know, what happens is you weren't taught how to regulate your nervous system at the moment. Your nervous system was in disarray. And usually you didn't have people around you that could help you regulate your nervous system. When you're with somebody, that's what rapport is all about. If you're calm and secure and you get close to someone, um, they will help co-regulate your nervous system. it's why, why, you know, what we're beginning to find out, you know, but you, you might, well, of course in this day and age, we're not doing it, but let's say you hug somebody and you just got a bad vibe, right? your nervous systems are collapsing or not collapsing or colliding, right? And so, um, you know, we we want to begin to, uh, you know, so maybe like your parent or an authority figure didn't know how to help you regulate your nervous system, right? Uh, To help you stay calm, stay, stay cool, you know? Uh, parents, teachers, whatever it is, right? And so, and a good example of this comes from the sports world, just bear with me for a moment, which is a good coach doesn't let the athlete internalize a mistake, right? A good coach, um, and you'll, you'll see the professional, we'll get to, I'll get your question in a second, Carla. A the, the, the good coach will become the kind of person athletes want to play for, right? So if, if you drop the ball, you made a mistake, you missed a shot, whatever it happens to be, the good coach can they point out you made a mistake, right? But don't beat yourself up for it because we have more game, we have more season, we, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and again, the, you know, And again, that's the difference between good parenting and bad parenting. And at the time you may not, you know, as a parent, you just might do something or say something that that person who's in a young child, let's say, is a highly charged emotional state at that moment. And they bring home a bad report card. And, you know, the parent just without thinking might say something like that's just like you, you know, or it's like our family, you know, uh, and then, the, and the person begins to internalize it. Um, so that's like, and, but shame can be, you know, and again, it's a defense mechanism to make you disappear. You also see it with children of, uh, of people that are uh, their parents, one of their parents, maybe both were narcissists. Because you learned very young, you do not take the spotlight away from the parent, or if they had a super sibling, older or younger. You know, the great athlete, star student, you know, it's like, why are you doing this? Your sister, your brother is so good, yada yada, yada. So you took the spotlight away, so you felt shame, it you know, and and so you internalized it. Yes, Miss Carla, you had a question. Janea is trying to get in and you're not letting her in. She's in now. I got okay, her. good. <laughs> thank I you not, i will let her live now she can come in okay. <laughs> okay thank you sorry i was thank you for letting me in so uh I, if anybody sees that and i don't see it just yeah let me know um i get a
1: tangent yes
0: thank you dear uh so anyway yeah so that's like you know guilt and shame especially when you're young or you're in a highly charged emotional event right again um and I'll use athletes, because it could be a good one, uh, where you made a big mistake, you know, and you're feeling guilty about it, you dropped, again, you dropped the ball, you didn't do this, you didn't do it. missed the tackle, whatever it happens to be, right, lost the match. And so you're in a highly charged emotional state. And again, the coach might come up, uh, or your peers, that's why peers can screw you up. Uh, well, and... and and yell like, this is just like you. You always screw it up. Yeah, you know, you're going to do this, right? As opposed to those people that we seem to be, or I am, drawn to that says like, well, no big deal, da-da-da-da-da. You're pro athletes, again, talk about it a lot that, you know, it's a long season. We have other stuff to do. You know, you know they, they move on. So that's like guilt and shame and how they get coincided. And a lot of times when you've made a mistake, it puts you in a highly charged emotional state which opens you up for your subconscious to begin to internalize it very quickly. You're not using your, your rational mind at that moment. And then now, you know how in, in when we come to trauma and this gets into self-sabotage and why we don't feel worthy or deserving. Um, we've always known about fight or flight, fight, flight, or freeze, right? And, you know, it's the difference between your nervous system becoming activated, fighting, or fleeing, or shutting down, like freezing. Well, now they know there's a few more that's not just you freeze, right? There are some things that we begin to do uh, which will force you into that feeling of not feeling worthy, right? And again, it's, it's a little bit about shame, but in the current thinking, they call it collapse and submit, or please and appease you know, or cry for help. But especially like collapse and submit is a trauma response that's a defense mechanism of the of, of the last last resort. You know, um, you're trying to you're going you're 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 going along to get along. You don't want to stand up for what you think because you might get some pushback from an authority figure, a teacher, a coach, whatever it happens to be. So you kind of collapse and, and, and submit to whatever's going on around you, right? And you won't feel like you deserve, uh, especially if you have some shame, that you deserve to even have an opinion on it. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, whatever you want, right? And you'll also then step into what they call please and appease. You're trying to please whoever's around you, right? And appease them. It's the same effect, Um and what happens in a moment of trauma, whether it's, a, and again, all trauma is personal and it doesn't matter what the event is. It only matters how your nervous system coded that event, you know? And again, th- this adds to guilt and shame because let's use like guys and girls that go to combat. You always get those few that like see horrific stuff and go through horrific stuff but they don't internalize it in, into a traumatic effect. So they don't experience it. Other people um, may go through a lot less of that kind of situation, but their nervous system is encoding it as a traumatic thing and they shut down. You know, um, And again, it, there's, there's a continuum because one of the problems we think about this is like, like for post-traumatic stress, you totally shut down, right? You totally get the thousand yard stare. Uh, you can't, you can't do this, right? But we're seeing it a lot going on in the world right now. Uh, Are we seeing some collapse, submit, please and appease um, behavior, right? People, because when you're in this, you really, it's hard to get yourself motivated. And usually, the only way to get yourself motivated, if you fall into collapse and submit, or please and appease, is you get angry. If you, if you, if it's you, it's interesting, or someone you know, they're either laid back and chill or they're, or they go right to rage, right? They bypass just like, nope, that's not going to work for me. I I don't want to do that right now. They go from chill to, how could you even ask me this? This is crazy, right? So they don't, they haven't learned that middle response where you're okay and just say, no, that's not gonna work for me. I don't wanna do that, whatever it is, right? Um, and and there's, like, there's some key ways that collapse and submit or please and appease will show up in someone's behavior. Uh, compliance, obedience. They'll simply go through the motions. It's like life on autopilot. Uh, and it kind of detaches them from bodily experiences. Uh, so their feelings, their true physical feelings, as much as their emotional feelings, no longer guide any of their actions, right, Uh, and it's like, you know, someone that's in a violent situation, domestic violence or in a violent situation, uh, is not even aware of their, of fear, which keeps them in, excuse me, in the situation, right, it also shuts down where you can't see markers, so you get out of this bad relationship and you can't see the markers in the person you're talking to, that like, this one won't be any better, right? It's going to be the same thing, right? Which can keep you in it. Also, there's a lot of thought that treatment-resistant depression, um, especially people get that if they have experienced cr- chronic almost inescapable stress, right? Like you're in a, a, a violent household, you're in a violent situation, you grew up in a violent neighborhood, right? Uh, there's no escape, right? So the, it'll you'll see it um, with the depression doesn't end, right? So that's that's another thing we'll see with people. Another thing we'll see is interpersonal conflict. You know, you have trouble engaging in other, with others, you know, at a true thing, because it's almost like um, you can't you can't set socially appropriate boundaries and make socially appropriate relationships. Either you're all in or you or you're all out, right? Uh, so you, you you jump from one to the other. Does that make sense? So you have interpersonal conflict, right? Uh, and that's you see that with people that you know one relationship after another after especially if they're like serial relationships where you you know uh, anyone's ever worked with people with uh, in domestic violence it's like the names have been changed or the faces change and the names change but the, the the situation's the same right they just replace it right uh, because again they jump all in and then it doesn't work. They jump out, but they again they're back a little bit into that where they don't have the mechanism engaged of you know social awareness where like uh, I, you know you know this person's been married five times that should let me know this may not work out, ladies and gentlemen, you know. Or they served time for domestic violence in the past. That may not be the kind of person to jump into a relationship with. Right, So you'll bypass that. And then, of course, it's going to get the, the, the uh, I- uh, I- interpersonal conflicts. The other one, and this is what we're really seeing right now, is social avoidance and the desire to op- uh, uh, isolate. Social avoid- avoidance and the desire to isolate. It Basically, if you're in collapse and submit especially, but it can go into please and appease, it makes it difficult for someone to engage in da- daily activities. Right? And then you'll justify it you hear people like you know they haven't you know, especially at the height of the pandemic which we're still in but it seems to be lightening up people say you know i haven't been out of the house in a year uh, or six months uh, you know uh, all i do is wear sweats I haven't worn makeup right whatever it is you know i don't shower regularly right because i'm not going anywhere i'm not doing anything it even it can even become hard to make meals you know in in that you know and you want to socially withdraw right which the answer to this is, is that uh, your social engagement network in your brain wants to engage with other people. But because of the lockdown, that crap was stopped and our brains and our bodies haven't evolved, if you will, to where this stuff online, which we, I like, but at the same time, um, we don't get that social engagement that human beings need um, and that's why we're seeing you know, massive depression, alcoholism, drug addiction up, I mean, you know, interpersonal violence, right? Um, So it makes, you know, a lot of us want to just withdraw and back out, right? Now, if you have these, right, this also kind of leads to, you know, you have that sense of shame and guilt, and so you're doing these kind of things, then you beat yourself up for it, right, which begin... To manifest as not feeling worthy, not feeling good enough. You know, how come I'm experiencing this when everyone else seems to be handling it quite well? You know, uh, and again, you may be comparing yourself to unrealistic—excuse um, me, unrealistic—role uh, uh, models. You know, why can't I do this? They can do that. Well, it could just be the way that it is. You know, other people, this lockdown's not not bothering. You know according to the media, right? But well, really, it's bothering a lot of people, right? Um, and so, you know, how this not feeling worthy and not feeling deserving manifests as, you know, again, nothing I do is good enough anyway. So either you'll go back into collapse and submit so you don't you don't even try. Or if you do do something, you totally disregard it. Oh, anybody can do it, you know? Um, Maybe you go and you buy something you really like, you know, like, to, let's use clothes as an example. I did that this morning. So you're like, oh, you buy like a shirt or an out- outfit as they say, and you really like it, right? And then someone gives you a compliment, you'll go, oh, this whole thing, it's nothing. That th-. You can't just say thank you, just thank you. You write something and someone's like, that was great. Oh, thank you, it was nothing, right? You wanna downplay any kind of achievement, or thing that you do, right? Again, I always self-talk uh, uh, what's going on in my life too much, but this one weekend uh, after the screening, uh, several people that were there saw me the next day, and they came up, oh, I, you know, about the performance. And my first response was to say, ah, it was easy, da-da-da-da-da, right? Um, rather than just say thank you. I put a lot of work into that, right? which is, it's not arrogant, it's like I did, I don't usually play crazy serial killers, uh, at least outside of my own head, in my head, trust me, it's there all the time, Uh, but you know, it's like, so you want to downplay it, you can't, you know, or you say it's nothing, right, Um, it's the old Woody Allen line of, I would never join a club that would allow a guy like me as a member, And so so you downplay it. Uh, Also, too, you'll see it with people that buy something they really like, but then they never want to use it. Right. I'm saving it for a special occasion. You know, this may come from childhood. You get, you know, you're six years old, so you don't have your cognitive faculties yet. And you got this really cool shirt or pair of pants and your mom don't wear that. Right. You're going to ruin it. And of course. By the time they pull it out of the closet, it doesn't fit anymore right? Or as an adult, it might be out of style, right? So rather than use it because you like it, you feel guilty, so you're saving it for a special occasion, right? Um, Other ways it can manifest is um, you can't accept a gift. It's hard for you to accept a gift. You You may be the type that gives gifts, and you love giving gifts, but if somebody gives you a gift, you feel guilty, like, oh, I didn't get you anything, well, it's no big deal, it's like, I bought you this, or, you know, here, I got you this, I thought of you, and you feel guilty, right, why, it's like, but we do, this is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we do, so that's, you know, um, and the other way, on the flip side, it can manifest, uh, from listening to a couple of people that are really into this, is, mm-hmm, goes into nothing you do is good enough right so you'll not nothing will satisfy you i want more bigger better that'll make me feel better you know i got to be the world's first trillionaire you know yeah you know i mean just heard elon musk say "Oh, this wealth tax will kill us you know if you give billion dollars a year and you run the numbers that means it'll take you a thousand years to even dent your <laughs> but you know it's that like you know and you see people do that they can't stop you know i always think of bodybuilders you know they get bigger and bigger and bigger i remember I, it was i it was a long time ago had a guy comes to me who was a mr world right he was five nine and a half five ten his competition weight was 230 pounds that's a big guy at that height. But he came to me because he needed to work out harder and eat more to get bigger. Right. And once I, sh- I wish I knew now what I or, or knew then, what I know now, because we started talking. He goes underneath it, he goes, Yeah, but you know, sometimes, Doc, when I look in the mirror, I still see the guy that didn't make the freshman football team. You know, that was 5'8 and maybe 120 pounds. So it's kind of like male male body dysphoria is what it's called. But he wants, you know, it had the same with the women with on the flip side, with bulimia or anorexia, they see a fat person when they're literally starving to death, right? And so if you really track it, they may have some trauma. He had trauma when he wasn't big enough to, you know, and he said, that's what the coach said. You're just not big enough, son. You need to get some size. So he started lifting weights, working out. Yes, he played football, fell in love with working out because of the adulation, but he always bigger, 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 you know? Uh, and again, I haven't worked with it as much, but we're talking from people with the new line of thinking about trauma. When you look at anorexia, uh, uh, bulimia, the eating disorders and the body dysphoria about it, it's the same thing. Maybe it goes back to some trauma, you know? And again, it, it doesn't have to be... A, sexual abuse to the nth degree or violence, it could just be the little girls eating, you know, eating a big uh, extra helping of um, whatever it is, you know, an parent authority figure. had I, I, This one happen. A sibling. This is why you're going to be a fat cow. You know, this is why you shouldn't eat. You, get, you know, and she loved her sister, looked up to her, you know, and this is why I starved myself. So the kid internalized it highly charged emotional state she was just eating something she enjoyed didn't know it was bad and the sister um and from talking to the girl she thinks she was probably four five six years old because she barely remembers the incident you know and the sister was a teenager right and so it got internalized and she felt guilty now whenever she ate right um so anyway that's the kind of stuff so do you you know and so you have to begin to work through that feeling of worthlessness, of, of not not feeling good enough. And again, you'll also see it where I saw it at a Walmart one day. I'm sitting in there or get, checking out uh, and person behind me, you know, a little kid was bugging their parent and about get some getting some toy. You know how it goes, right? Some toy. And I, and I could put myself in the the parent situation, little kid was getting a little loud. So people are looking, right? She goes, put that down. You don't deserve nice things. All you do is break it anyway. You know, so the kids like freaking out. And I'm like, hmm, future client, you know, if I'm still practicing in 20 years, maybe, right? It sounds cold, but you know, and I don't think the parent was trying to scar the kid for life. It was like, you know, and maybe it's true. the kid, you know, little boys break shit. I mean, that's what, that's what little boys do, right? You know, and Billy takes it apart very structurally and figures out how it works. Some of us just break shit and then complain it, it's broke. Um, so the parent is like, you know, all you do is waste money. This is why we can't have anything nice. Right. And so then it begins to become internalized. And it, there's the shame and the guilt. Okay. The little kid didn't know he was doing something wrong. He just wanted this really cool toy. And now it's like, I don't deserve nice things. I I don't deserve, because I'm only going to break it anyway, which can lead to, you know, think about jump forward into a relationship. I'm only going to, I'm going to screw it up anyway. All right. And so we get into that, right? So it's some interesting stuff, you know, that is coming out of the trauma recovery world and the polyvagal theory world. That's just absolutely fascinating, right? And um, I hope to do more on this. But again, how do you begin to feel worthy? How do you begin to feel deserving? Right? You have to. You have to go in and make those changes. And it's a nervous system response. This is not one where you can just change the thought process about it, right? Uh, and I won't. I won't back off. A, a simple regression will not change it. It'll change the thought process, but will it, it does not change that the body is holding the response. Right? And so you can override it a little bit, but then it's going to kick in when the body response kicks in because it's a survival mechanism. End of it, end of story. It is a survival mechanism. You know, once certain things get in your brain deep, you don't have to think about it. It overrides conscious, even part, I'd say, you know, is it a subconscious response or is it in your nervous system? You know, when you're driving along and you see a red light and you take a foot off, if you're, you you probably do the conscious thing. Uh, But certain response, you know, if there's something in the road, you swerve before you think about it. It's it's so deep, it's in your nervous system, right? Because when you're first learning to drive, maybe this stuff was implanted in your head. Right. And so it's a nervous system response. Right. And so that's you got to drain off the nervous, the negative ner- nervous system links with it. And that's what the polyvagal theory begins to point out. Once you drain that away, then you begin to work on the thoughts and, the, and that, you know, it's why cognitive behavioral ther- therapy alone fails horribly when it comes to trauma. Right. It makes reliving the trauma does not dissipate the trauma if it's, if it's, if it's deeply encoded. Uh, so anyway, it's just kind of, it's interesting stuff. So if you feel that unworthiness, that not feeling good enough, you know, you step into the feeling, you know, you have to find the feeling, where is it in your body? Where's your body storing this, you know? And, and again, um, You'll see it with someone that they'll go into the physiology of shame, even though they just done something good. You know. So anyway, it's, it's, you know, I remember someone talking about that, you know, they were their parent used to yell, well, you don't want to try too hard, because then everyone expect you to do good all the time. So even though this person had potential from hell, right. Yeah, you just do enough, because if you're, you know, it's the tall poppy syndrome. You don't want to, you don't want to stand out too much. You'll get cut down. All right. Um, So anyway, just some uh, random stuff. I'm playing with this trauma stuff. It's, you know, finishing this master's course thing with it. I find it fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Right? Because it, it, it answers some questions I've always had. And, I, and you all know I beat up, my wife yells at me, but I've always beat up this thing on addictions, but it's my it, it's a box I look at the world. Because I always wonder why I see people like get into recovery, they go through treatment or they, they get they get the alcohol drugs out of their system. and maybe they start going to meetings or therapy, and it nothing seems to work for them. So what's going underneath it? right? They're doing everything they're supposed to do you know, according to the recovery experts, you know, they've detoxed, they're going to meetings, they may, maybe even be in therapy, and they end up blowing it up, right? Because maybe they don't feel worthy of being sober. You know, uh, maybe there was a traumatic incident that they, they, they couldn't connect with another human being, right? And so, because people you trust are only gonna hurt you anyway. So you walk into like a 12-step meeting or even a therapy session and you're somewhere in the back of your mind, your nervous system's lighting up where these people or that person's only gonna let me down anyway. So you'll blow up the situation early, right? Um, yeah, and, and again, you no one taught you how to regulate your nervous system. And on the flip side, people that get into, and this is one of the things people that, and a lot of therapists, especially hypnotists and helpers, don't like the 12-step program. What they don't understand, now looking at it from what I know, damn it, this is a place that they're teaching you how to regulate your nervous system without drugs or alcohol. right? No one else is going to do that. You could do a hypnosis session, get rid of the desire to drink, but if you're still going to the bar every day, eventually... You know, if you go, if you hang around a barbershop long enough, eventually you end up getting a haircut or shaving your head like Billy, right? Um, so, I mean, you know, it, and, and that's what, because you weren't taught how to self-regulate, right? Your nervous system. And again, that's where addictions come from because it regulate, it, it calm, it does, I don't say necessarily calms your nervous system, but it, 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 it served a purpose yeah it it tamp's down usually the feelings you know the fear the whatever it is they're going through so i'm going to stop the recording and then we can talk